You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy format. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the gleeful spell thief himself, Michael Matson. How are you? Uh, well, according to my title, I am gleeful, but in reality, I am the opposite of gleeful. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. Well, why are you not gleeful? Ah, uh, rough, rough couple of days. Um, came back from the legacy pit, which we'll get into, to a flooded basement, um, no. which is, you know, super cool. Uh, long-time listeners may remember that I have had a flooded basement before, had to deal with mold, and that sucked. Um, and then I actually had somebody come out and, like, give us a quote on waterproofing and everything, and the guy was like, oh, you know, looking around, I, I like, I think you should already be good to go. And I was like, like, we flooded already. And he was like, uh, okay, like, it doesn't look like you would have. We did. I mean, it rained like 14 hours. So, like, if you think that's a fluke, like, you're the expert and I'll trust you. He's like, yeah, like, I can tell you what we would do, but, like, I don't really think you need to do anything. So we listened and we were wrong. Um, mm. <laughs> although now, this time, being a little bit more educated, I think I can see, like, where the water is coming from and everything. And I also think what he said was not necessarily what we needed to do. <laughs> um but so dealing with that, uh, and we have mice apparently, uh, and they have chewed through my oven, so we're dealing with that. So you know, just a long week despite it only being two days in. Yeah, that sounds awful. Uh, I, I obviously have. I don't think I've ever had a mic, like a mouth problem. Um, but I have obviously have had friends who had mice problems, and they're just like they eat everything they. They go in your food, and just like the idea of having something, you know, crawling around your house is not a good feeling. So, yeah, I will say ours are being considerate enough to like stay in basically one location. Um, but you know, the fact that they have ruined our oven is um, that's an issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, just having them is an issue because they, you know, they carry germs. They damage your house. Um, but yeah, real, real annoyed. We thought uh, we thought they were gone. Uh, have determined this cannot be the case. <laughs> yeah, no. Ugh. Well, hopefully you get it sorted out soon. Uh, I mean, do you want to try to relive the, the good times of the Legacy Pit? you want to do that instead? Uh, sure. Okay. So... We have had a long weekend. I mean, you were, I know you took a train down on Friday morning, I guess, um, going down to Richmond. I, I drove down late on Friday afternoon uh, to get down there by, what, midnight or some some nonsense. And But we spent the weekend in uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, playing in the Legacy Pit 20K, which, you know, I think, regardless of the how well we did in the event... Uh, it was a good time, actually, at least seeing everybody, right? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the best part. Uh, <laughs> the actual magic part was uh, not so good, but the gathering the gathering was where it was at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, we've, I've seen a lot of people, especially in the last, like, you know, year or two years, you know, since we've been doing the podcast, uh, especially, that people I've interacted with on Twitter but haven't really gotten to meet. So, you know, people like uh, Robert Wilson, for example, like, we uh, obviously met Robert at the Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy 9, uh, but, you know, actually being able to get to see him again was awesome. Uh, Dave Long, we interacted with a few times before, but I actually got to, like, have a conversation with him multiple times over the weekend, which was sweet. Um, and honestly, just, like, the number of listeners and like, even patrons, actually, that I, we got to talk to and chat with, it's really amazing being able to you know, sit down and have conversations with people you've been interacting with and you, you feel friendly with, but, you know, haven't seen. It was, it was really, really cool. Yeah, I... So I don't actually think I met that many people who I interact with on Twitter who I had not interacted with in real life before. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, some of them longer conversations than we might have had previously. And then, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people coming up and, like, just saying, oh, hey, I listen to the podcast, like, appreciate the work, and just, like talking to some of those people, which was, which was cool. Um, I don't actually look at our analytics, so I didn't know we, we had that many listeners. Uh, we're doing better than I thought. Go us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you. If you, if you did talk to us over the weekend, you, you know, thank you. It was really great talking to you and uh, hopefully we get to see you again sometime soon. Uh, the, it was, I don't know. It, it was, it was cool. I mean, we had the tokens, we had the stickers too, which it seems like the, Stickers were very popular in general, so I might have to stock up and get a couple more before uh, SCG Philly. But I mean, it was it was really cool just ha- hanging out and like signing tokens and stuff like that. So great experience, and definitely made going into the event a, a little bit more joyous, even if we didn't you know do the best uh, we possibly could have. Um, do you want to talk about how? Your legacy main event went, or do I mean, you want me to go? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer not to think about it. Um, Fair. So I, you know, listeners probably realize I've been on, on a little bit of a hot streak lately, um, and it certainly came crashing down around me this weekend. Um, you know, I I got a little bit nervous at the start, and then had like. Thought things weren't going to work out. Like, I sit down across from my opponent. Uh, they play an underground C, which is my worst matchup. Um, and then they start casting a spell for no mana. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how my day starts. I lose on turn one. Um, it turns out that they cast an ornithopter. And then I got to have like a nice, fun, interactive match versus ninjas. Uh, so I went from very scary to, to good times. And I won that match. I was like, okay, yeah, like we got this. Um, and we did not, in fact, got this. Uh, I <laughs> lost to Doomsday in round two. I beat Delver round three. Um, and then I lost to Four Color Control round four. And it was like Bant, Splash Red for Mindskin Boon, presumably Pyroblast. Um, those games were... Those games were rough, and then I lost the mirror round five, and then I decided I was off of it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, like, well, you were playing green white depth, right? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so I played basically. So I played the same main deck I played 
in the last showcase challenge, I made minor changes to the sideboard. Uh, in the last week's episode, I talked about the fact that um, three mid skimpoos felt like too many, which I stand by. So I cut one from the sideboard. Uh, I wanted to add an extra card versus combo. I, I know last week I was also talking about, like, you know, it's okay to have bad matchups, but it, again, it also just feels like if that's primarily what I'm losing to and nothing else, like, I can afford to make some concessions to try to improve that as long as I'm not, like, throwing away other matchups. So I ended up adding the Thorn of Amethyst, like I was talking about. So that kind of took the place of the Mind Break Trap, I guess. And then... Uh, in that open slot that was previously that men's Kimbu, I played an Archon of Emiria. No. And I know that sounds really weird. I still actually don't know if it's good or not yet. Uh, but again, I wanted something extra versus combo. Uh, it, and so it's good versus the spell-based combo, right? It's mm-hmm. also good against um, good against elves if they're like being able to chain things off with like multiple visionaries or glimpses. I know, uh, obviously, most people have moved on from glimpse. And if you look at uh, the elves in particular breakdown over the weekend, it seems like they are right in doing so because glimpse elves <laughs> was the worst performing of the th- three kind of elves macro archetypes. Um, mm. But uh, so archons get there, and then also. I wanted, um, my sideboard map didn't line up against Delver, so I wanted another card that I could bring in there. And while I'm not excited about Archon, I'm not, like, uninterested in it, right? Because it makes expressive iteration so much worse when you can't actually cast a spell afterwards. And it makes um, Ledger Shredder worse if they're on, like, the Shredder builds. And then also it even stops Mystic Sanctuary from coming in untapped ever, which... yeah. Mystic Sanctuary is real good in that deck, so making that worse <laughs> is nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, I like the idea. The philosophy definitely makes sense. Um, and it, I think it's always good to try new stuff and, you know, trying to get around that Echoing Truth problem you mentioned before, having multiple, like, Deafening Silences that end up all getting bounced by one spell. Uh, it's, a, it's a good... I think it's a, a good idea, at least. Um, did you get to actually play it out? Did it did it work the way you thought it would? Um, I got it in play once, and then I just kind of did not draw what I needed to draw at all, so it didn't work out for me. And it, it was also versus Infect. It wasn't first. I, I forgot. I did play Infect after the mirror, and then okay. I dropped. <laughs> so it didn't quite work out but i don't necessarily think that was the card's fault i boarded in in a couple other maps like i boarded it in versus the delver and doomsday players earlier but i just never drew it okay hmm. all right well th- something that needs further testing then uh, i know you had some people freaked out on twitter just because you mentioned like okay well i need to get <laughs> does anyone have an archon of myria did anyone have counterbalances and people were like what are you playing over there what's <laughs> happening <laughs> Yeah, so if if anybody saw that and is wondering what was going on, the counterbalances just, they weren't for me. Um, I was just trying to help out a friend who needed them, and I just figured it is much easier for me to get cards uh, than him because I have a way bigger Twitter reach. Like, hmm. So I just thought I would kind of, you know, do my friend a solid, and it worked out. I got the counterbalances, which I don't know that we returned those. 
<laughs> now that I'm thinking yeah. about this. Uh, yeah, I assumed you were playing like Minsk and Blue, and I was like, ooh, this could be cool. Uh, but unfortunate, unfortunately, it's not. I have to message Rodney before I forget. <laughs> yeah, definitely do that. Rodney, we're sorry. <laughs> Man, I even went out of my way to say bye to them before I left. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Couldn't return the cards. I'm it, sure Rodney has not noticed yet, to be fair. Yeah, completely slipped my mind. Um. Uh, uh, well, I mean, your day, in one way, it went about just as well as mine. I mean, I, I was sadly being strung out a little bit longer, but uh, we, we ended up with the same result in the end, right? Um, I, I ended up... Not making day two either. But, like, my matches all day were really, really great. I mean, like, I had... I started off on a real interesting game versus Tess, where I felt like I was, like, way ahead in game one, and then lost. <laughs> and then uh, in game two, ended up kind of, like, delivering out my opponent, and in game three, uh, somehow dodged a galvanic relay for eight that, like, didn't really nothing after I got a meltdown for zero, uh, wiping out a bunch of artifacts and things like that for my opponent. So, uh, pretty cool. And I guess I probably should say this just in case people haven't figured this out already. I'm playing, I was playing Blue-Red Delver, uh, like I normally do, but I was playing, um, Ozzy, uh, Ozzy Mandias. Uh, by, by the way, also got to ma- meet Matthew Vuk, which was really, really cool. I never actually met him in real life either. One of the many people I got to meet this weekend. Um, but I was playing his version, I believe from the Showcase Challenge, that was playing for Mistress Bobble in the main deck in No Wastelands. So, like, 16 lands, for Mistress Bobbles, No Wastelands. Um, the, the deck was very, very good for me in most matchups, um, except for the ones where Wasteland, uh, my opponent has Wasteland and I don't, which I will, I will get to. Uh, but overall the deck was really, really sweet and I'm still playing it on Moto, so, you know, you'll probably see me in the, in the cues with that deck still um but i did end up losing round two to moon stompy once again some pretty pretty close games um ended up playing against somebody who actually flew in to the legacy pit from denver which was really really neat as well um beat them to one uh played against goblins which ended up going to time and we had a really really crazy match where my opponent would not block with his goblin prospector and eventually we got to the turn, uh, the second to last turn of the game, and they finally cracked their Prospector and another Goblin to in four lands to cast an uncounterable Muxus, and the game really just came down to whether or not they, uh, they hit a haste creature, which they did not, thankfully. Um, but they did hit a... I can't remember the name of it. The, uh, the new Lord that whenever a Goblin dies, you can exile... Um, the top card, and if it's a goblin, you can cast it. Runefell um, Horde Master. Yes. So they hit that, and they also hit a uh, another prospector. So then they were trying to go through the deck to try to <laughs> try to find a haste creature. So that was terrifying. That was really really good. Uh, but I ended up they ended up missing, and I ended up uh, winning in the air on the next turn. Uh, and then I ended up at this point what three and one. Uh, lost round five to a Delver Mirror, which was, once again, a very good match, um, but just did not end up my way. Uh, ended up 
winning a close one versus Lands in round six, where I was able to just like kind of tempo them out. I got to counter a, uh, I think counter a crop rotation and force negation, a or no, a surgical extraction, a loam, and was able to, um, you know. Survive. I had a pretty quick start, to be fair, too. I had, like, I think it was, like, Double Delver into Murktide or something like that on, on by turn three. So, I was kind of doing it. But, um... And then ended up playing this uh, Jeskai Miracles deck, which was also just really, really cool. Um, and, like, I say Miracles, but they, they were planning on winning with, like, Entreat the Angels and they had Terminus. Like, it was it was actually Jeskai, which was Jeskai Miracles, which was cool. Uh, and then I ended up losing round eight to this this uh, no name play. Hunter Nance. Does that sound familiar to you? I've never heard of the uh, heard of the guy before. Do you know who that is? Uh, I I do. <laughs> oh, okay, I've never I've never heard of him. So uh, yeah, he ended up schooling me two uh, zero. Uh, I I think I got really really greedy in game two. Um, you know, without going super deep into it, I uh, was on the play, kept a one lander, and pondered, or I should have pondered uh, with my DRC out on turn two, but instead because Hunter had also cast a, a DRC, I wanted to Lightning Bolt it. Um, so I went upkeep Lightning Bolt. My top card was a Mystic Sanctuary, which I really wanted to untap land. So I put it in the graveyard, uh, proceeded to not draw another land, and then uh, proceeded to get Wasteland at the next turn and then die from there. Uh, in in of immediate retrospect, I should have just pondered on my turn, uh, looked at the top four cards with the, you know, surveil trigger and the um, ponder, and then if I don't find a land, then I could shuffle, try to find another land, and at the very least I've got the uh, Mystic Sanctuary kind of as a backup there. That That is definitely the correct move, and I just, like, did not do that. So, uh, but, I mean, Hunter definitely played tight. Uh, game one was really interesting. So, uh, ended up losing, and uh, I think Hunter had a good weekend anyway, so I guess it worked out for him uh, yes. overall. <laughs> so for anyone who has not caught on to the joke, Hunter uh, did win the whole event, so congrats to Hunter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great job, and obviously, if you haven't heard of Hunter Nance before, um, someone who has shown up on the Star City Game Tour, a decent amount, um, really accomplished player, so... Uh, it, him winning is not really a surprise, um, but it's still a huge accomplishment. And, you know, the top eight was a really stacked event. I mean, you had uh, Hunter Nance, you had Tony Scapone uh, playing his, you know, coveted uh, Ruby Storm. Uh, Bob Wong also made top eight. Uh, Samantha Murphy was, like, putting on a clinic with Doomsday all weekend, which was really cool to see. Uh, and then also uh, David Lance, which uh, is Static Gripped, I believe, correct? Yep. Yeah. Uh, also, just bodying people with death and taxes all weekend. So, it was. This was definitely a good topic to be to be in, and I think if you're gonna be able to win, I think Hunter is, definitely showed his his chops. So, you know, congrats to him. Uh, I think the craziest thing about Hunter is just like if you look through his uh, goldfish page, he's got so many merfolk results. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna say that's the uh him putting it on hard mode for some reason. I 
I'm not a. I let me actually see. Where, where when are these results? Are they like recent? I mean, no, but like in my mind, I still think of him as like a merfolk player because that's mm. just like what he did in modern for like years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the earliest result with it I see is 2015, and then it goes through 2017. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying I mean, to remember I, if I've seen him play Merfolk in Legacy. I think he's always been Delver in Legacy. Yeah, I think the I'm used to him playing Delver in Legacy. That's kind of what I think about him as. But yeah, I mean, there are a lot more Merfolk results than I kind of realized. But, I mean, I think he did obviously a great job and uh, with deck selection this time. I, I think Blue-Red Delver was just like the default. This is probably what you should be playing unless you have a better reason to do it. And obviously you see people like, you know, like David Lance, uh, like Tony Scapone, uh, who are playing these decks, obviously doing well with, you know, what they normally do, which I think is a better call. But, I mean, I think otherwise, I feel like Ruby Blue-Red Delver was the deck that you need to be prepared for. And a lot of people, I think, thought they were and realized really quickly they were not. So, uh, do you want to? Did you want to talk about any of the decks from this t- from the top eight here? Uh, so, I think there's a couple things worth mentioning. Uh, a big shout out to Harry Hackett for top eighting with Maverick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, always love seeing somebody putting up the fair fight. Um, it looks like, and don't quote me on this. I think he is playing. If. I don't know if it's the same, but I, I believe it's very similar to the list that Mark Strassman has been playing on stream. I guess I could literally just look at Mark's deck real quick. Okay, so it's definitely not the same. Um, but, you know, it is a Punishing Fire, uh, Urza Saga style Maverick deck, which is cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, shout out to. Uh, I can. I literally just saw his, his list. Uh, Chris Reinhardt, who's a, actually a patron of ours, who uh, ended up playing the you know, green black version of Elves, right? The version that's playing the fiend artisans and whatnot has the opposition agent in the main deck. Uh, ended up having a really really great run, and you know had a strong finish. So I thought that was really really cool. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, Newton, who we had on recently, actually put together, I kind of referenced this earlier, but he mm. went through and looked at all the elves players and kind of um, categorized them as people playing, like, the old school, like, glimpse version, um, kind of the, what he calls the cradle control builds, but before mm-hmm. the Fiend Artisan, um, and then he you know, the third category of the people playing with it. And he, he, like, really mapped out what the different win rates were for the various archetypes. So I think that's really interesting to look at. And uh, not super shocking, the builds that Newton has been working on most recently uh, was the best performing. And then the old... I don't I don't even know what to call it. Not like the old school, but the <laughs> the middle version... 
the initial builds of Cradle Control did, you know, a little bit worse, and then the all-in combo versions did a little bit worse. Yeah, I, I just think you're trying to reason this out because there's another thing that, that showed up at the pit that I, I think is interesting. I, I think having the combo version, you know, more combo heavy, we'll say, uh, version of the deck, when you're looking at Delver being such a high percentage of the field, uh, you don't really want to have the deck that is going to be weak to counter spells, right? I think that's just like probably not where you want to be, but whatever. Like the the bright side, if you're playing something like Ruby Storm, or you're playing something like, uh, you know, we'll say Ruby Storm, right? You have natural defenses in your deck, so you're not you're not weak necessarily to a Force of Will or something like that. You have Defense Grid. Uh, if you're playing Doomsday, right, you can set it up with Cavern of Souls or something like that, or you know, so you have protection. Uh, the the downside here is that if you don't have Allosaurus Shepherd to pr- protect your stuff, which which obviously you can have, right? Like then you you're kind of in trouble. But the dead cards in the matchup are normally things like Lightning Bolt or Unholy Heat, which versus you know both Ruby Storm and Doomsday, right, aren't going to really do anything relevant. But suddenly versus Elves, they are actually live cards. So instead of having you know blanking you know, six pieces of cardboard in your opponent's deck, you're actually still afraid of those six cards. And uh, the number of times I've caught uh, Elf player with a Lightning Bolt in their Nettle Sentinel with a fourth, and then a fourth of Will in their Natural Order is high enough where where they need to be aware of it, and it, it can be problematic at times. But I do like the Fiend Artisan build. I mean, like, I think just having that more, you know, slower mid-range... Um, kind of toolbox approach in this format, I think, is is super relevant. Yeah, I mean, the deck definitely looks impressive whenever I play against it, and, you know, it's got the numbers backing it up. 63.4% win percentage is, like, you know, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Over, solid. over, like, you know, a good number of matches. Um, not quite 100, but closing in on 100. Uh, can we talk about the deck that I don't want to say overperform, but like really crush this event? Doomsday, like it had eight pilots and had a what sixty five percent match percentage. Like that's really really solid. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this last week. Like Doomsday is just this deck where it's like you're not good against Delver, but you're good against everything else basically and like i legitimately mean everything which is you know not a bad place to be um you get essentially free wins versus any non-blue deck other than maybe else just because they have the four endurances but like Mm -hmm. i don't think other (laughs) other um non-blue decks really have a shot and you know i i've seen Obviously, like, the more all-in versions, which I think are obviously, you know, pretty solid. I mean, whether, I think regardless of what version you're playing, like, I know uh, I would like to respond with playing a Doomsday version that was actually playing Stoneforge Mystic, which I think is really cool. Uh, we also did see uh, Romario Neto playing a version that is a little more traditional, right? Just the only creatures in the deck are Thassa's Oracle and Street Wraith. 
Uh, but we ha- also have seen, like, the more tempo builds. Uh, Samantha Murphy, um, who obviously crushed this tournament as well, uh, I believe, I think she made it to the top, was it top eight or top four? Top eight, I think. Uh, but one, also, uh, there's a, I'll try to see if I can find it on Twitter. Uh, her, her deck is absolutely beautiful. The Doomsday Altars are insane. I think Dugs uh, retweeted them. But um, it's the more tempo version that she was playing was something that we saw a couple months ago, but, you know, Baleful Strixes, uh, Tide Regents in the deck, one young Pyromancer, uh, actually playing Expressive Iterations in this deck, too. Fatal Push, so, like, this is very, very, I, I guess, tempo, like, gro- going hard into the deck. Like, I actually thought this was uh, Blu-ray Delver for a second. I was like, oh, it's, no, it's Grixis Delver. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. It's Doomsday? Oh, yeah, it's Doomsday. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, really, really cool build. Yeah, I keep telling myself I should put in the effort to actually, like, learn to play Doomsday. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, like, don't want to, because I'm really lazy. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of these days I'm going to crack. I mean, this is definitely on my to-do list. I mean, this this is just a... It's a cool deck, and if you can... I like decks like this, and I think you like decks like this, too, where you kind of get rewarded for playing slowly and carefully... You have tools to win with that A plan, but your B plan of just, I'm going to Doomsday kill you with Thassa's Oracle is still really powerful and is going to get you out of a lot of tight spots where, you know, you, they might be so focused on Merktide region and, um, and friends that by the time you get to that point in the game where you're top decking cards, like, you, your two-card hand of Doomsday and Thassa's Oracle, once you find that expressive iteration, now you're just, like, ready to go, like... I think it's really, really neat. Yeah, it's definitely very strong. I will say, if I was working on it, I would start with just learning the turbo versions first. I think mm-hmm. it's better to just like go with the most streamlined approach. Um, I don't know how different the win percentages are. Uh, I'm honestly not sure, but I, I think I would probably start with like Max's decklist, which is definitely helped by the fact that uh, you know he posted a free mashup guide, so getting to mm-hmm. cheat a little bit there is... Definitely nice, because I, I find sideboarding with combo decks to be insanely challenging. Um, so, that's where, yeah, and the, where I would start. Yeah, and I, honestly, I guess sideboarding with Samantha's list is a little different, just because you are boarding in spells. The sideboard is a little bit more, I don't want to say traditional, but... It's more associated with, like, the fair plan rather than trying to predict your combo, which I think is, actually, once again, I think that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, she's really sideboarding in interactive spells, whether, whether it's Hydroblast or Fatal Push or, like, Unlicensed Hearth. Um, there's a Hizagutsu Consumes All. So, yeah, I, I think probably going towards the traditional route is a, a good call for, for beginners. But this is something I, I would like to jump into eventually, so maybe I'll have to put in the... The 1,000 hours to get here. You know what the sideboard strategy actually reminds me of? This is, like, hmm. going back a long ways. But do you remember when uh, Jeskai Ascendancy, like, broke in Modern? Yeah, yeah. God, good times. That deck was sick. Um, but anyways, after it was out for a couple of weeks, I can't remember who it was, premiered a list where it was, like, 
okay, people are coming ready for your combo, and, like, nobody's ready for it game one, so game one, you just murder them, and then, like, mm -hmm. game two, you bring in, like, young Pyromancer and Delver of Secrets and, like, Lightning Bolts, <laughs> you're just the Delver deck now post-board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is that. It's a, it's a good, it's like a good sideboard juke, I guess, but I don't, I feel like it's not sideboarding in that much. I guess there are situations you probably are boarding out the Doomsdays and just trying to play like the control, control-ish tempo list. Uh, and I guess while people are boarding in like the Flusterstorms and stuff like that and like just holding back, you can apply a lot of pressure, but uh, I don't know. I think this deck's really sweet. Yeah. I really, you know, not positive how it works. Um, I could be wrong. I think Sam listens. So, I mean, Sam, if you, you know, want to come on and teach us about the deck, I'm, uh, you know, we'd be happy to have you. But, uh, yeah, I don't think either of us <laughs> knows what we're doing with it. Not at all. Uh, and I will, I will stumble through the deck like an idiot. But I, if if Sam, you are listening, definitely, definitely uh, hit us up in the DM. We'll definitely try to get you on. Let's segue. I want to talk about modern. Uh, before we do, do you want to talk about the 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 twenty k ten k nonsense really quickly? Very uh, quickly. Sure. So All right. so, go ahead. Uh, I guess to set the stage for those who might not have seen it, the information did circulate um, that there was some. Um, We'll call it poor advertising. Um, so the event was largely announced as a 20K, uh, and they did pricing based off of the standings. Or, sorry, not stand, standings. Um, prizes based off of record. And mm -hmm. so the way it worked was they did the math for, you know, if they hit their 600-player cap, how much are they going to pay out based off of what records look like, et cetera, et cetera. And... You know, the number was, it actually still wasn't quite 20,000, but it was like 19,000, I think 100 and something. So it's like... Yeah, 19, it, five, whatever. Like, yeah, it was, it was something close. It's like close enough where, you know, you're not going to advertise it as a 19K. That sounds stupid. Um, <laughs> but so what happened was they didn't sell out. Um, I believe the final count was 306 players. So the prizes they paid out were closer to 13,000. And people were big mad. Uh, personally, like, I, I don't really care that much. Um, I do not think they should have advertised it as a 20K. I think their advertising was misleading. Um, but a lot of players are saying, like, oh, they stole from people? And it's like, well, like, that's not really the case, right? Because they said, you know, if you show up to this event and you go, like, X2, this is how much money you get. And if you came and you went X2, that's how much money you got. Like, mm -hmm. if you were supposed to get prized, they paid you prize. They just didn't pay out $20,000. Um, and again, like, they shouldn't have advertised it like that. But I, I think that's, like, a simple learning opportunity. And mm -hmm. I think it was right to call them out on it. But I think the amount of aggression they got was not correct, personally. Um, and the other concern, which I also agree with this concern, is the way the cut worked on day one. They cut it at 6-2. Uh, I'm not sure if that was advertised anywhere. I was trying to find it, couldn't find it in advance. Um, 
Granted, I didn't really look that hard because I didn't really care that much what the cut was. My plan was to win all my matches, um, yeah. which, you know, didn't. it's not what I did. But I, <laughs> the way they cut it at 6-2 meant that players who are live for top 8 got eliminated from playing in day 2. And I think that is really crappy. Um, Star City does the same thing, and I hate when they do it. Uh, I really just... It feels to me like a way for these TOs to just try to make additional money because now there are more people who are going to sign up for like a second event the next day rather than continuing to play in the main event. And I feel like, you know, if you're still live for top eight, why are you being eliminated? That it just, you know, it doesn't feel right to me, but they're far from the first TOs to do it. And, you know, they're not going to be the last. So, like, it's. I don't want to criticize just them for that. Like, I would rather either criticize everyone or no one, and I, I'm too lazy to go on that crusade. Yeah. No, and honestly, like I, like you said, it is a learning opportunity. This is the second large event they've done. And honestly, like, uh, this aside, and there's a similar incident that happened with the, the modern event, actually, but they they heard the feedback. They, they can't really do anything at this point. You kind of have to move on. But they did take the feedback um, and do something, right? The, a similar hap- thing happened with the Modern event, which we'll talk about shortly, where they ended up having a cut that, or have it set up where that if you went uh, X2, uh, and I, I'm going to make sure I say this right, um, if you went X1 or better and didn't make Toppy, you would get, I think it was like, I, I want to say it was like 100 or something like that. Um, but if you went X2, you would get like 60 or something like that. And Or no, no, if you went X2, uh, you were you were just dead for prizes. That's what it was. Um, so I, I believe you actually only got money if you went basically copied it based off the records. Yeah. Because uh, the thing was, it wasn't based off of X1, X2, right? It was like you had to receive 21 points. Yeah, 21 points with off points. You're correct. And you. <laughs> there were only seven rounds. So in order to get, in order to prize, essentially you had to go undefeated through the Swiss. Or I guess, yeah. you know, you got more points to top eight. So you have to top eight and then keep going. And that was not their intention. Uh, but no. again, they did it based off of capping that event and the event didn't cap. Yeah. Which, which is... I think one reasonable, or they were basing this off of what happened last year, and they they thought that it was going to be capped. Uh, it ended up obviously not, so they adjusted, and I you know I appreciate that. I actually went up before uh, when I was X X one. I went up just to double check. It's like by the way, it was like have we changed the prize? And like we will make an announcement shortly. Um, and they were in literally in the process of pen and paper trying to figure out what the numbers are and how to balance this and like how much do we need and. Like, that's, that's really all you can ask for. And I think once the event's going, like, you've already uh, agreed to this. Like, we're kind of moving on. Uh, just to be upfront, uh, I went back and double-checked the points here. So it is, like Matheson said, uh, twenty-one more than 21 points got uh, 100. Uh, 21 points exactly would have gotten 80. Um, and 18, 19 to 20 points got 70. 18 points got 60. Um and once again, this was this was different. They at this point this is updated, which is good. Uh, but 
it, based off of points, or no, this isn't updated. So based off of points, you have to go six one. But if you're six one, that already locks you for top eight. So literally, the only people who were getting paid originally were going to be top eight competitors. Um, and they at least adjusted it. So I ended up going uh, was it four two one, and ended up getting cash still. Like I ended up cashing the event still. So the fact that they were willing to make adjustments realized that. They weren't being unreasonable. They were just trying to figure out how to do the best they, they could. I'm I'm fine with that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people, like you said, have gotten very, very heated about this. Uh, people that were friends with on both sides. And I, it seems like a very silly non-issue to me just because, you know, we're literally all on the same, <laughs> the same side of this issue. Like, we want more legacy events. We understand that they're not being put put out by Wizards, and we love if local, you know, tor- uh, tournament organizers were able to put on events. I, just, we all also understand that events are hard to run, and running any event of any size, uh, whether that's an FNM at your local store, or a RCQ, um, or, you know, obviously something like a uh, massive 20k with two other, th- well, three, four other events going on at the same time, it's just, it's just difficult, so... You got to give people some grace here if you're going to expect them to try to put forth the effort in the future. Yeah, it's one of those things where I've heard some people say like, "Oh, well, if we don't criticize them or don't say anything, like, how will they learn?" It's like, well, like you can give them feedback without like being jerks about it, right? You can. There are ways you can do it, and like again, I think it was right for the original person to say something, but then. They kind of got dogpiled on. And I've seen, you know, I've seen plenty of people who are in support of them, and I've seen plenty of super rancid takes. Like, a lot of people are just saying, like, oh, they need to play those players the $6,000. But it's like, who, like, who is that actually going to? It's like, because, <laughs> I mean, the people who were promised money got the money they were promised. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, you could give more to all of them, but then it's like, hey, why are we just, like, making the Legacy Pit hand out $6,000 that, like, they didn't bring in, right? Like, the price support was determined based off of, hey, we are going to be getting this much money from the community, so we will be giving this much money out to the community. The community didn't provide. <laughs> legacy Pit can't provide. I mean, like, well, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can't, but, like, I, I don't feel like they owe us anything. They, I mean, they made it very clear. I think Ozzy mentioned this too. They did not take a dime from anybody they were they were intending to. Like everyone who placed appropriately got um, is going to get paid appropriately. So uh, there's really nothing to com- complain about there. Um, once again, I, I think the big thing that I, I, the Legacy Pit I think kind of picked up on going forward is that they're going to have it scale with attendance. So they'll be a little more, a little transparent with that to make sure that people understand it's, you know, it's currently a 10K, now it's a 12K, now it's a 15K, uh, rather than, you know, saying it's 100% going to be this, you know, 20K. That's the only mistake that I, that they may have made, but I, I think that's fine. I, once again, I, I think they had high expectations and I'm, I'm happy they did. Uh, and once again, those, the people who run the Legacy Pit are people who do things with all of their heart they don't do things half uh you know half-hearted so 
they assumed that this was going to cap out. I thought it was going to be a little bit larger than it was. I mean, the main event was only, what, 126 players? No, so, it was 306. 306? Okay. So, but I was expecting it to be larger than that still. I, I thought it was going to be closer to, like, you know, 400, 500. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm cool. I think it's I think it's fine. I'm happy that they they put on this heroic task of trying to run this massive event. I had a good time. The turn round over turnover was great. The head judges were fantastic. I you know we had a really smooth event, all things considered. Um, I'm happy. So you know if for, if any if any of those people are listening from the Legacy Pit, I think you did, guys did a great job, and I'm happy you you ran the event for us. So thank you. Yeah, I I also saw some takes that was like, oh, the event was poorly run. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, like, there were, I think the judge staff did a great job, and there was tons of judge coverage. I actually think there were too many judges on staff. Um, I read that there were twenty judges, but that number could be made up, and I feel like twenty, you didn't need twenty. Um, I mean that's. Uh, that's not really here nor there, but like yeah. they very strong head judges, like I, you know, I, and very strong floor judges. Like I recognize most of the judges. They are people I have. A lot of them are people I have worked with, and definitely people I would trust to be in charge of an event. So. Mm. All right. Well, so without I don't want to drag on that much longer. Uh, let's talk about the modern event, uh, which I, I already kind of talk about what I what I did in the event, but uh, how'd the modern event go for you? <laughs> also not well. Um, <laughs> I did have more fun in modern than I did in Legacy, I will say. Um, so I played the Blue-Red Breach deck. I was between playing Scape Chest, Breach, and Creativity. I was really leaning towards Creativity, uh, but on the Saturday modern event, Breach put three copies into the top eight. Uh, Creativity, I believe, was the most played deck in the room, and Breach is very good against Creativity. And so between the fact that I don't have any experience in the Creativity Mirror, but it sounds like it's probably not fun. Um, (laughs) So so between that, and I just thought, you know, if I already think Breach is a strong deck, and I think it's going to be favored against the most popular decks there. Like it just seemed like a good choice. I was still really close to registering Scape Shift, but I just I don't have a list that I am a hundred percent happy with yet. Like it's close. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not like it's not like the list isn't tuned, but it's not quite where I, I feel like I'd want it. Um, mm-hmm. So I just put my faith in Trusty Robkin. She's very smart. Um, Lost Escape Shift round one, which is like always interesting losing to the de- to the deck you were considering. It's just like, should I be doing that? Um, <laughs> and then I drew round two against four color, which was very upsetting. Um, I was a top deck breach away from winning, and I could like play through the endurance and or dress down as well. Uh, so that was really frustrating. My opponent was like, oh, like you know, I uh, like I can Emrakul you. It's like. Okay, like, I guess. But, like, <laughs> looking at the board, honestly, even if you resolved Emrakul, I wasn't going to die. And then looking at my draws, I, I actually would have killed him, at, like, through the Emrakul resolving. Like, there was no way he could annihilate my board enough. Um, mm. so, so that felt pretty bad. Uh, it felt like 
you know, there could have been some faster play and that could have changed the whole trajectory. Um, and then I think I like lost around from there. Um, and then have the funny moment where I meant to drop, forgot to drop. Like I, I was borrowing sideboard cards. I returned the cards, just literally never dropped. Um, so round goes up. I'm like, okay, well I'll go play. Cause like, I don't want to make somebody just like sit there for 10 minutes and like not get to play when they wanted to play. Um, mm -hmm. So I sit down, I turn one, draw a card from my, that's supposed to be my sideboard. So I get a warning for that. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I am like about to attack for lethal in game one. And then I just hear a judge nearby saying, so to confirm your opponent, Michael Mapson is not here. <laughs> just like, oh, no. I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> Am I in the wrong seat? <laughs> uh, so I was, in fact, in the wrong seat. <laughs> so oh, no. I got a warning for a match that I wasn't even supposed to be playing, and then I got a match loss <laughs> for uh, being 10 plus minutes late <laughs> in the round. Oh, my uh, gosh. And we played it out for fun, and I won. Um, and mm. I was like, okay, it doesn't matter. We're dead for prizes, anyways. But then they, uh, you know changed the prize structure so we weren't <laughs> actually <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a mess and I, I mean i was laughing my opponent was laughing everyone around us was laughing so you know it was, it was a good time and then i just i kept having fun throughout the rest of the day and started winning more matches um but oh, <laughs> yeah overall so i finished four three so slightly okay. positive yeah. 5-2 if you count not getting a match loss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll count that. I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll petition uh, the Legacy Pit to see if they can change that for you. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I I ended up going... Was it seven rounds, really? Oh, jeez. Um, so, I guess I went... Well, yeah, I went. Uh, that makes more sense. Makes more sense. I went uh, six two one four two one. There we go. Um, ended up playing and losing round one. Also to uh, five color creativity. Uh, I was actually playing a Griffith Shadow list. I thankfully was able to get all of my Ledger Shredders over the weekend, so I wanted to put them to good use. So I put together a list um, that I think Ben Jones actually put. Um, ended up top eighting a challenge with. Uh, deck was sweet. Really had a great time with it. Uh, once again, another thing I'm going to be playing a lot more in Moto in the coming week, so watch out for that. The deck ended up being really solid. Uh, Five Color Creativity is a, is a tough matchup in spot, so uh, we ended up having a, some pretty good games, and I definitely, I don't want to say got, got outplayed, but my opponent played very, very well, and it was definitely a tough match on my end and couldn't close. Uh, ended up playing against a opponent who was like honestly like one of the most fun people I talked to all weekend, but he was having a miserable time playing this uh, Jeskai Planeswalkers deck. Um, and like Jeskai Planeswalkers, you're like, okay, well, you're probably playing like Narset, you're probably playing like Teferi, and he was playing Teferi. I didn't see Narset. There was a Johnny Vengeant. Uh, it was it was a lot of stuff, but it was it was cool to kind of see everything try to come together. Um, I, I don't I don't think he enjoyed his deck. But uh, we, had, we had a good time playing against each other. Um, I did get to play against uh, Andrew Varel on Scapeshift in round three, which was actually, I think, the person you played in round one. Um, 
and Andrew is like one of the people that like I don't know where he lives, but it has to be like in my backyard because I see him at like every other event that I go to. So I think he's Maryland. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay, yeah, I, I saw him last time. I saw him was in Maryland, so that would that would make sense. Uh, but you know, he, fantastic player. Uh, another person who I think shows up and has some really strong finishes, but I think people don't quite realize. Um, that he keeps making top eight of all these events, so he kind of flies under the radar, but he's a really good player. Um, ended up taking that down. Uh, I got to play against Red Black Midrange, which I got to see the new Squee in action for the first time. That, I still don't quite get it. I know our friend um, Chelsea kind of mentioned that like Squee ends up being like a really aggressive way like to be able to cast it rather than Kroxa, like that Kroxa is going to be coming to play, maybe dealing three damage, but usually just making your opponent just card a card and then you can get it back later and like get snowballs. Like Squee at least can come down on turn three and stay in play and if it's an empty board keep attacking and it's better versus control because it can buy back for less resources. And I'm like that that makes sense to me. I just like still don't get the appeal as opposed to like a Krenko or something like that. But I, I it's something that I'm going to have to try at some point just to, so I can try to understand how, how good it is, I guess. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know uh, how you can compare it to Krenko. Krenko's not recursive. Uh, well, not, not Krenko. Oh yeah. I mean, not that Krenko. I mean the, uh, the, the mob boss, not the not mob boss. Um, the one that attacks and you get a, it puts a counter on it, and it, it creates that many goblins. Like, that's the one I'm, I'm kind of, in my mind, it is most similar to. The fact it's kind of like an army in a can. But, like, I guess if the recursion is the thing I'm excited about, I guess that would be the comparison. It just, I don't know. I, the 2-2 body does not impress me. And, like, my opponent at one point, like, brought it back from the graveyard, um, exiled... Uh, three cards that I think they they needed, <laughs> and got a two two, and then I I just hit it with an unholy heat, so it was very short lived. I so I don't know. I, I don't get the hype, but I, I'm probably not the target audience for that card either. Like I'm I'm probably not going to be worried about that in versus my deck, but like maybe versus like blue white control or maybe versus like creativity. It's it's gonna be a, a little bit more uh, powerful, but I don't know. I don't I don't see it. Um, but I did get to play against um, with a, somebody on Blue White Hammer in round five, which was really cool. Um, I have a. She, I know she's a streamer. Let's see if I can find her information. But uh, on Blue White Hammer, uh, games, once again, very solid, very fun, uh, really tight play uh, from her, and I uh, could not escape. I think I played kind of poorly, also, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, I definitely played a couple turns, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm safe here. And then I just, like, died the next turn. So, um, definitely, the patience on her side definitely worked out for her benefit. So, um, that was really, really solid games. Um, hopefully I get to meet up with her again. Uh, it was uh, Candy Sprinkle, um, which I'll, if I can, try to find her information and post it in the show notes, uh, along with some other people. Um... I did get to play against John Thagavan, which I haven't seen in a long time and very much 
caught me off guard. Uh, died to some Tarmogoyfs in game one, which was the the dream. Uh, game two, I ended up kind of winning this like really slow, grindy game uh, where my opponent uh, went for a lethal attack and got blown out by an Ottawara. Uh, and I got the, uh, you know, crack back, went on the crack back. Uh, and game number three, awkward situation, uh, my opponent had the Wind Grace Soul of Dominaria, I think it's called. The, no, the it's new... literally just Soul of Wind Grace. Soul of Wind Grace? Okay. So, Heart's sweet. Uh, it is sweet. It's was it so? If you haven't seen it, uh, I, I, there's no way I know all the abilities. There's, there, the thing has like a lot of text, um, but it is one and Jund for a five four. When it enters the battlefield or it attacks, you can return a land from a graveyard into the onto the battlefield under your control. You can discard a card. Oh man, it has three abilities. So. It is... Man. Do you remember what the abilities are? Uh, You can gain three life, you can draw a card, and you can tap it and make it indestructible. Okay. So, three different abilities, all very powerful. Um, My opponent got into a situation where they knew I had a... What is that card called? Uh, Your favorite card. Your favorite blue enchantment. Dress down? Dress down, yeah. They knew I had a dress down in hand. And they attack with their uh, Wind Grace, their, their uh, Soul of Wind Grace, and I cast Dress Down on it, and then it it didn't do anything, and then I killed it. Which sounds anticlimactic, because uh, the judge was, like, sitting right there, because we were towards the end of the of time, so I just, like, asked the judge, and he's like, yep, it'll, I'm like, indestructible ability, right? Yep. It's like, yep. So it loses that indestructible? Yep. I'm like, okay. And my opponent was like, oh, why'd I do that? And, like, it really was, like, I think I had him covered anyways, but it definitely made the game a lot easier on my end. So I was able to close it out pretty quickly from there. Um, and then, oh, but the other thing, too, um, Soul of Wind Grace, or Soul of Wind Grace um, definitely returns land from both graveyards, not just yours. Uh, my opponent didn't have anything in his graveyard, so I immediately was started like looking at my graveyard. I was like, okay, well, I do have a Blue Delta, I have a um, Bloodstained Mire, and my opponent was like, oh, well, I don't have anything in my graveyard. I was like, okay, let's kind of kind of let it go. Um, but if you are playing Soul of Wind Grace, it does do either graveyard, so just 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 know that, especially in paper on, on Moto. Obviously, it'll say something. Uh, but you definitely want to get try to get your value there if you can, and especially if it's uh, in that if you're in Jund, right? Most of the special lands you can take, like the only one that doesn't do anything for you would be um, Flooded Strand. So just just keep that in mind if you're if you're playing that card. Um, and I mentioned too in in round seven, I I <laughs> I was like, oh, so I mean, you just want to draw, right? And my opponent's like, why would we draw? I'm like, well, we get we get forty five bucks each if we if we draw, or winner gets sixty. So. I don't think that's really worth it. And like three tables around me were like, "Wait, say that again!" I was like, "They changed the <laughs> they changed the prize, so we can draw and get forty five each, or we can play and winner gets sixty. And my opponent was like, "That doesn't add up." I'm like, "It does not." So he's like, "Yeah, we can we can draw." I was like, "Cool, okay." So we we ended up uh, just just drawing and, and moving on with our lives, which was 
good and got us on the road a little bit faster. Yeah. Although, you know, it still took us like an hour because <laughs> we just kept talking to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we There were a lot of people to say goodbye to. Again, the gathering was the best part. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was um, a bit solid, though. I'm definitely excited to play the deck a little bit more, um, especially now that there's a little bit less pressure on me um, as far as constructed events are concerned. I, I do have um, Okotoberfest coming up in... Was it uh, six weeks? I think, I, I, but that's enough time, and I've been testing a decent amount, so I'm not really worried about testing for CEDH at this point. I can actually, you know, maybe play a, a modern challenge on a on a Sunday morning if I if I have the time for it at least. So, kind of looking forward to just jamming some modern for the next couple weeks. Yeah, uh, I do think there's some cool things happening in modern in general that I wanted to mm-hmm. point out. Um, yeah, yeah, please do. So, in in the modern top eight there, we had, um, well, Scapeshift, like, went undefeated through the Swiss, which mm-hmm. is cool. Um, I think they literally just copied um, Andy's list from, um, why am I blanking on where it was? Uh, where they had the two, was that, it was Columbus. Yeah, Columbus. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they just copied that list. Uh, there were some creativity decks, and I've noticed a lot of the creativity decks that did well this week were playing with um, a couple copies of Persist. And, you know, I think I think we talked a little bit about that last week, but I just want to point out that the, that, like, was clearly the standard between this event, um, there was a big event in Amsterdam, and then the challenges on Moto, like, everyone was playing Persist. There's a list that I really liked. Um, at, at first, I looked at it and I saw four Prismari commands. I was like, ew, like, why would you do that? And then I saw they were on three persists. And I was like, okay, this looks really clean, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, especially, like, you know, Fable the Mirror Breaker, obviously, is an easy discard thing. But uh, Prismari command, obviously, a good discard outlet. Uh, but, like, Shadow Prophecy is another one, too, that I don't think people would catch on to. Like, just being able to look at the, you know, top four or top five cards of your library, take the best two, maybe one of them up or fifth, and you just drop in an Archon into the graveyard off your Shadow Prophecy. Like, that's a really nice one-two punch that people aren't going to see coming. Yeah. But I'm very, very big on that. It's just having those extra ways of getting that Archon into play and, like, having ways to make the one on your hand be less dead. Um, mm-hmm. Just, it feels really good to be able to take, like, this useless thing and turn it into actual resources. So I really like that. Um, the other list I really like is, I don't know if you saw the Bring the Light Scapeshift list that Top aided. Ooh, I did not. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Schwartz. I realized, you know, now I actually own most of these cards, so I think uh, it's finally time for me to buy a Valky uh, so I can try this list out. And I guess I have to buy a Savoy Triome. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I In my mind, you have all the Triomes, I guess, but I, I guess that's not even remotely true, right? I mean, I, I have, like, one of a lot of them just because they see modern play. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I really like this list. Uh, you know, obviously we've seen Bring the Lightscape Shift before, um, and there was a while where we saw, like, the 60-card package. I know Dom Harvey in particular was really working on it. 
uh, where it was playing like Expressive Iteration, Bread and Six, Fairy, Dryad, like Explorers, Bring the Lights, and that was kind of your deck. Um, mm. This one is like less focused on the Scape Shift plan, but still focused on ramping you up. Um, you only have to play one copy of Scape Shift because you play the four Bring the Light, but then you're also just like not too dissimilar from the four color control decks because you're still playing with like your Omnas um, and your one copy of Fury. You only have one copy of Solitude in this list, but like your deck is just full of like good cards. Uh, Leyline Binding obviously being a heavy hitter here. Um, since mm-hmm. you're already on five colors, like like you're already incentivized to have all five colors because you want to play Omnath plus you want to play Valky and you're bringing a light deck. So it's just, this list looks like really clean to me. Like if you read down it, like one of the issues with Scape Shift is when you draw it in multiple copies early on, you just have this dead card in your hand. Um, but again, they're only on the one and like outside of that and drawing Valky, like you just don't have any bad cards in your deck. And that's really nice to yeah. see in a combo deck. Yeah, for sure. And I think Valky in this deck is a, a little bit better just because you do have the Omnath here, too. So, like, casting it is not entirely out of the question. Uh, but you, I, you're definitely right. I mean, like, the Leyline Binding, definitely a card I got to see in person a lot more than I would have liked this weekend. And that card is just, like, so good when it costs, like, one mana at instant speed. Just exiling your best card or, you know, oh, so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in this list. It, it just looks so clean to me. So I'm definitely going to put some work into this. Um, I I couldn't find it, but a while ago I saw a Bring the Light list that was playing Soul of Wind Grace. I want to try that one out too. Uh, but I'd have to like find it or brew my own. I think Tagoras might have played it on stream, so maybe I'll have to check his VODs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. we I know we wanted to keep this a reasonable length. Uh, do you want to wrap here, or do you want to talk about uh, some uh, some shadowy things from the Modern Challenge? We can quickly go over some shadow if you want. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to do super long. Um, just some things that popped up in the uh, Sunday Challenge uh, that we thought was interesting. Uh, there were two... A Death Shadow list that made top eight, uh, one Rakdos, one Demir. Uh, the Rakdos list is kind of an evolution of something that we saw uh, Young Dingo doing. He was kind of trying to do red-black scam without the scam. Um, and you end up seeing this kind of like more mid-rangey, more fair deck, which I think is reasonable. Um, Soul Strong being the Death Shadow aficionado that he is, uh, ended up just playing a Death Shadow build instead. Um, so playing Death Shadow, your DRC is Ragavan, but still having the or having the Dalty Voidwalkers in the main deck, season Pyromancers. Um, it is, but it's just a deck made for grinding. Uh, actually has two Blood Moons in the main deck as well. So, which I think is sounds very tough in your um, Torok deck, like having in Dalty Voidwalker. I don't know if, how often. Blood Moon is good or bad, but I guess it's a little less of a liability when you have Season Pyromancer in the list. Yeah, and like, Torek's good even when you don't kick it. That's true. Yeah, I mean, like, you have so much incidental discard between uh, Kroxa and obviously the Thought Season and Inquisitions running around that you, you can probably afford to still have Torok be decent. 
I feel like this list is like really just the black red deck that Aspiring Spike worked on for a really long time, but just mm. with better mana and like minus four random cards plus four Death Shadow. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I, I, I don't imagine this being as likely to get Death Shadow online quickly. I mean, like, you do have Thought Thieves, obviously, but. And you do have Bloodstained Myers and Blood Crypts, but I, I think there is incentive for you to be fetching Swamps early just because you do have the Blood Moons in the main deck. And that is going to be relevant in some number of matchups. So I, I am kind of surprised to see it. Um. To see the Death Shadow here, like it, that actually might be better off as another creature, but this is something I definitely am going to try and try to get an idea about what what it's doing and how good it actually is here. I don't know if you actually fetch like more than one swamp though. Well, I mean, I guess you need if two you're, for Void Walker. Yeah, you need two for, two for Void Walker. Uh, I don't think you would want three necessarily, but like if you are on the Blood Moon plan, like there is a lot of incentive just to have the two at least. Um, Ragavan can obviously add some black man if you need it to, so that does kind of make the burden a little a little bit less, but I, I think you want at least access to two if you are playing on multi-spelling at any point. Uh, the Demir Shadow, I actually saw somebody playing this at the, the Legacy Pit, and I was like, oh man, that looks pretty sweet. I wonder where they got this list from. So I don't know. I don't know if the chicken came before the egg or what. But this was a, a list I saw and was kind of impressed by. Uh, this was by uh, Engeldorfer, um, which I assume you have to say it with that kind of uh, accent to it. Um, yeah, Death Shadow. We see Ledger Shredder. Um, there's actually Straight Wraith making an appearance here, which I haven't seen that card in a long time outside of outside of Legacy and Vintage. So that's cool, um, but and they are playing four Merktides to top end, which I think is, you know, pretty good. Um, like a couple copies of like Stubborn Denial, um, actually some Counterspell, Archmage's Charm. So some some interesting things going on here. Yeah, I I actually really like the way this list looks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely an interesting place to be. Uh, it does has less of that. I guess more of the issue, less of the issue. Like, I feel like there has to be something better than Street Wraith to be playing, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like there there has to be a one-drop you'd rather be playing. Uh, I mean, just because, like, there's, no, there's literally no creatures you can play on turn one in this deck, right? Like, I guess if you can cycle enough Street Wraith, you can play Death Shadow on turn one, but that seems unlikely and probably not for the best on it either, so... I, I think this deck is more reminiscent of the old Grixis Shadow builds. Um, and I think you didn't necessarily need to play a one-drop threat in those decks. I mean, like, those decks, I'm trying to think, they really, like, literally did, just didn't have a one-drop threat, right? Other than Death Shadow. Um, no, because you were playing, planning on playing uh, Gurmag Angler. Yeah. So you didn't and really I, have anything there. I think this is closer to that, where you're just more interested in, like, Having maybe maybe one or two cyclers turn one into like a thoughtsies or a consider and try to slam like an early street race with stubborn denial or like nice. fatal push or something. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's just like and I, I guess it doesn't. It's not a huge issue here. You have enough fetches to facilitate this, but like you are very intent 
on or intense on your mana requirements just because you are playing a bunch of spells that are black or blue or double blue or black and blue and or like triple blue like you're really going for it here so there's a lot of incentive to have you know triple water grave which i guess kind of lines up with your death shadow plan right like you going fetch water grave fetch water grave fetch water grave down to 11 is like kind of like the dream <laughs> in this in this deck uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's so much, so many things you could, that people are doing on turn one in this format. And you do have obviously the six discard spells between Thought, Seeds, and Inquisition. You've got Fatal Push and Consider. You've got even Stubborn Denial potentially on turn one. Maybe that tags a, a Ren and Six, or maybe it is able to hit, a, you know, an Expressive Iteration that's going off too early. Um, so I guess there is some things to be doing there on turn one. I just... I don't know. I just feel like I'm so used to the Grixis deck that has the uh, Ragavans and the DRCs, and even like we saw that in the red black list, having those access to those one mana red cards, being able to actually be the aggressor and apply pressure like that, it puts you in a much different spot. But I guess if you are comparing this to the older list, like this is, would be the more uh, controlling deck, I guess, between the two of these. Yeah, and so I think the other thing comparing this to, like, the red builds is, like, uh, and I don't want this to sound like I don't think Ragavan and Darcy are good cards. Like, I'm not an mm -hmm. idiot. I understand they're good cards. But, but they're also really fragile, right? Like, the format mm -hmm. is right now, like, currently constructed in a way where people are, like, prepared for those cards naturally. You kind of have to be, right? They're coming out of blue-red. They're coming out of shadow. They're coming out of breach. They're, like... People have to be ready for those cards. And, like, I was, I felt this this weekend. You run into a lot of games where it's, like, you play Ragavan and your opponent has the turn two run and six and it dies. Or you play the Ragavan and they just untap and prismatic ending it. Or you play play your Ragavan and they lava dart it. It just, you know, the cards are really, really powerful if you ever untap with them. But it just feels like the format is oftentimes ready for them. And so I think... Mm -hmm. Just having the beefier threats here is a reasonable angle of attack. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, there were there are a lot of people over the weekend who like once they know I'm on Shadow, we're just like, I'm gonna play this, you know, stomping ground untapped. You can go, and I'm just like, you have lightning bolt, don't you? All right, I'm just not gonna cast a creature. You got it. That's fine. <laughs> like, um, yeah, people are definitely prepared. There's a lot of lightning bolts running around, a lot of fatal pushes and prismatic endings and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess there there is a benefit actually to not having a one drop and kind of setting it settling into that um, slower roll, uh, or even just casting a discard spell. I mean, like the Grixis list that I played uh, wasn't playing Inquisition of Kozilek anymore. I'm not seeing a lot of Grixis lists that are playing Inquisition. Um, and having an, an additional spell to cast on turn one that tags a decent amount of the metagame, I think, is, is really nice. Especially since, um, you know, things like Teferi and Ren and Six are so popular. Like, uh, definitely not a bad time to be a uh, Inquisition of Kozilek player. Yeah. All right, we should probably wrap here. Uh, Mapson, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter. Um, I know I plug it, even though I never use it, uh, but at Expedition <laughs> Map on Twitch. I do think that I am likely going to be using it uh, in the upcoming future. 
probably not repeatedly. Um, there's something that's still in the works that I will probably actually stream for in two weeks. So, you know, follow me now. You can see, uh, <laughs> you can see when I'm live. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. If you're interested in fi- finding the show, we are at Depth underscore Podcast on Twitter as well. Uh, we talk in the beginning. There is a little bumper talking about where, ways to support us, ways to, places to find our content. All of those things are on our link tree on our uh, Twitter page, so definitely check us out there uh, if you want to get in contact with us or anything like that. Uh, and once again, just a big shout-out to everyone that we met this weekend, um, patrons and just supporters and friends all uh, it was just amazing to be able to see you, and Mapson and I both just enjoyed, you know, being in the community and, you know, chatting with you guys. So just just thank you, everyone, we, we got to talk to. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. Bye.